Hi, everybody. Welcome to another comic episode of Games My Mom Found. I am Mike Elberton. Who's with me tonight? Uh, this is Kenneth Sanity once again returning for another comic episode. Thank you for coming back. This one's a little more uh, political than the last time you joined. Oh, just a little bit. <laughs> and before we get too far, I do want to give a quick disclaimer. This episode is going to get political. It is going to get, we're going to talk about racism. We're going to talk about sex. And we're going to talk about the 1980s and 1970s, 1980s. And today, so, you know, it's because we're talking about an X-Men book. And that's all going to be involved in this book. So I just want to give a quick disclaimer. If you don't want to hear anything political, well, you might not want to stick around too long. But hey, it fits the book. And I promise everything will be along to go along with the book is trying to tell us, not just us being our it's both book but the x-men and if you don't know the x-men were when the x-men are made about racism and i don't know where you've been for the last 50 years so that's all i gotta say and i should introduce what we're gonna be talking about we're gonna be talking about the graphic novel from 1982 x-men god loves man kills that written by chris, Cla- chris claremont artist was brent anderson and this is technically not this wasn't part of the canon of x-men for a long time but it technically takes place between uncanny x-men 167 and 168 technically i guess because they did eventually put this in the canon. So. Oh, see, I always thought this was just non-canon, but it's good to know that it is canon. It was till 2003 when they when the second X-Men film was released, and that's when they made a sequel series to this in Extreme X-Men. The second X-Men film? You mean X2, the best Fox X-Men film? Yes. <laughs> Marvelous. Which I have not seen in years. It still holds up. I, I did watch it after I finished reading this. <laughs> I'm waiting to watch all the X-Men movies because at some point, once we finish the MCU on the show, I want to go through the X-Men movies and do those two. Oh. <laughs> so we'll, we'll see if that happens because when I started the MCU, I did not anticipate how much of a truck that was going to be. So we shall see. <laughs> that, was a hell of a, that was a hell of a decision. All right. So, Skid, I know this is your first time reading this. This was actually my, my third time reading this book, unfortunately. Just to get it out there, since it probably will come up at some point in our conversation, this is another one of the our redo episodes where, due to technical difficulties, I lost seven episodes. So, just for you guys are aware, listening. I gotta say that this book comes out of the gate just ready to punch. Oh my god, <laughs> it is out of the like the bell rings and it comes out swinging like George Foreman in its prime. That's that hit me every time. Every time I read this book, and I and I, the first page you have. You have two two black kids that are that are running from somebody with guns. They're in their pajamas. They talk about how their parents had just been killed. I want to, yeah, they their parents had just been killed, and they're running. And one gets shot in a playground. And yep, he's the brother is eleven, and the sister just turned nine. These are two very young children, and it's probably not an accident that they were depicted as two young black children. No. Completely running from a group of white people. Jesus, yeah, it's not accidental here. Like, it, but I mean, it's powerful. I mean, it's would have been powerful in the eighties, and it with you know, it's still so powerful. And you see them; they just gun down these kids. And again, they they gun them down as they show, not because they're black, because they're mute. But again, you still have that racism right there. You have that whole motive that they're going for, and it hits hard. It is just so hard and most of it is set like the coloring on it is very blue toned it takes place at night it's dark and there are three scenes of color like full color in the first two pages one is when the little girl's mutant power is activating or the little boy i can't really tell it's just close up on eyes and then there are two gunshots and that's that's the end of the children 
And, and then to make it even worse, like, and to make it more political, I, what I felt like it was really a reference to the civil rights movement, they take the two kids and they hang them up on the swings on the swing set and then write muty across them on, on a sign on their dead bodies. And it's just like, to me, that felt like such a reminiscent of what was going on in the civil rights movement. That's what they were trying to go for. Oh my God, yes. This is very much just a playground set lynching. I mean, that's yeah. really what that was depicting. And then the... The worst person in the world to find them finds them. <laughs> Magneto. Magneto shows up, rips the shreds that are holding them up just apart, and places them very lovingly down on a platform. And for Magneto to find two mutants that were killed by humans, oh god. But I think that's one thing that's also powerful about this is because Magneto and Xavier, for those that don't know the X-Men, are, you know, are very much two sides of the same coin in a sense where they both want freedom for the mutants and they want, e you know, they want equal for the mutants. And they're just going about it two different ways because of the atrocities that were witnessed, you know, in the 1930s, 1940s with World War Two and Hitler. And I think that that's such a fundamental thing to kind of think about when you're looking at here, too. And he was seeing, you know, stuff and he mentions it throughout this book. He's like, I've seen what these kind of people can do. You can't trust them. And, and I like that. Magneto is a really like character you can connect with in this book, though, too. Oh yeah, he's. I think he's more humanized in this book than I've seen him in like this time period. And the I don't remember who said it, but somebody once had mentioned that when it comes to mutant kind, and this is it's not a perfect analogy because both Professor X and Magneto are white, but someone once said that Professor X is more like Martin Luther King Jr. And Magneto is more like Malcolm X. And I, I've heard that comparison, too. Yeah, and you can understand it because, you know, Martin Luther King Jr. was very much, I'm not going to say that he was all for nonviolence, but a lot of his protests were aimed at trying to change minds, where Malcolm X was very by any means necessary. And that that right there really kind of encapsulates, you know, Charles Xavier and Magneto. Hey, that's probably what they were based on, too. I wouldn't be surprised because it was around that time when, you know, they first, when the X-Men first came about. Yeah, and Stanley's never been, you know, one for being quiet about, uh, you know, racists being not cool. 1963 was the first X-Men, so yeah, Civil Rights Movement. Civil Rights Movement for the 50s, if I remember correctly? Uh, late 50s, early 60s. Okay, really. so definitely I think right around when that. when it started to heat up. So right around that time. But I am not a student of history. I don't remember dates. I, I am a, I am a student of history, and well, I I like history, but I, I know wars better than I know civil rights movements. Fair enough. I study. Well, I actually know World War II better than other stuff, but that's neither here nor there right now. So <laughs> it, it it's just such a powerful beginning opening of a book, and I love how they they really make you feel for Magneto, and then the villain of this book is William Stryker, which a lot of those probably know him in X-Men X2 would have been his first, you know, movie appearance before, you know, you know, the character really took off from there. But in this, he's not, he doesn't start off as an army general. He's a preacher. And the worst kind of preacher, the preacher <laughs> who has the attention of the nation, who he's basically like a kind of amalgam of like Billy Graham and those very successful televangelists at the time, the ones who were whipping up media frenzy and uh, just saying the worst things in the world while wrapped in a cloak of God. 
I mean, one thing why this book resonated with me, because I'm I'm very anti-organized religion. Like, I believe in God. I believe that there's an afterlife. I believe in all that. But I don't like organized religion. Because things like in this book, which happened in real life, where people use scripture and use, in quotation, holy words to m- manipulate people to their own what they want and to their own means, even though they think, they're, oh, I'm doing it for God. Like, no, you're not. Like, And so it makes this, I hate this character. Hate him with a passion. Oh, I despise this character. He's racist. He's abusive. And I'm not going to lie. It's pretty damn funny that back in, God, what year was this, 82? We have the evangelist character looking exactly like Vice President Mike Pence. Oh, I should say we are recording this on October 3rd of 2020 in case things are different by the time you hear this in 2021. This might come out. Yes. I've got to state that right there. (laughs) I I hope that by the time people are listening to this, if they hear it post-2020, I can say former Vice President Mike Pence. I hope so, too. Oh, God. But yeah, no. It's not the first person that said that. People have made that joke that looks just like Mike Pence. Like, there's a famous scene in this book where he points an acorn and goes, you call that a human? And <laughs> I know people have put have made fun about Mike Pence about that because it does look like him. Yeah, and it's something you could see him doing because Mike Pence also wraps himself in the cloak of righteousness. And it's just, why? Why do all of these people, all of these people, both, you know, politics in the 80s, 90s, now all feel like they're doing what they're doing for the betterment of humankind while wrapped in a cloak of faux righteousness. It because it, it helps them justify what they're doing. Same thing with the Crusades. The Crusades were terrible, but they saw, well, we're doing it for God. No, you're doing it for fucking treasure, you idiots. Like, it was nothing, God, nothing to do with this. It was all about land and treasure and looting and, and killing. And it's the idea that when you villainize something, like in this case, you villainize the mutants, you say, well, they're not human. They're not equal. They're nothing. You start, you give them, you give yourself the right then that whatever your, any hate, any murder, anything that you're doing to these people, it's okay because they're not real. It's that, and that's what I think is so interesting, like, with this, that they're constantly going throughout this book, where they're like, oh, the mutants are bad, the mutants are this, to justify their hatred towards them. Yeah, and it's just, it's disgusting. Oh, I do want to ask, like, when you have Stryker talk, you know, and he goes and he talks about who the X-Men are, were you as confused as I was? And they said, Ariel, able to phase her through bodies. Through I'm like, Ariel? Who the fuck is Ariel? I mean, uh, I that, weird, but. Yeah, I mean, that took me a while, because, but <laughs> I, I feel like, I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Okay, so I did a little thinking back in my brain. I didn't actually research it, but I was like, I'm sure that that's what they called. That for was like very Pride's fancy X-Men name. For a very small amount of time. Yeah. Because she, she's Shadow Cat mainly, but for mm-hmm. some reason in this book, she's Ariel. Maybe that's the reason why it's non-canon. Who knows? <laughs> uh, she did use Ariel a couple times in the books, too, because I remember we, when we recorded this the first time, I had an X-Men expert on the show, well, expert, the guy who wrote a lot of X-Men comics, and he had mentioned about how it was her name for a little bit, off and on. Eh. I don't like it, because I just like her normal uniform. I like Shadow Cat. I like Kitty Pride as that, but still. So that's, that's what that was. I just wanted yeah. to, it threw me off completely the first time I read this book. A little bit, but you know, I had to go back in the memory. I will say though, that outfit is just 80s-tastic. Mwah! Chef's kiss. Yeah, yeah. It's 80s. So 80s, I love it. And also, one thing I like about the book, it has, it has two of my favorite X-Men, Nightcrawler and Colossus. And you can't, like those two you can't mess with. Like, they're both so good. Well, again, Pride of the X-Men is a big reason why I like those characters. <laughs> Understandably. That old that old cartoon. 
that never got off the ground. <laughs> so this book also starts off once you get introduced to these characters and you and then they go you you see I think it's Kitty Pride fighting with some guy because he's calling at a dance studio because he's calling mutants, you know, scum essentially. Yep, just horrible, horrible people. And, and I didn't I didn't notice this, but did you notice Kitty Pride is wearing uh the Jewish star on her neck? Oh yeah, yeah, I noticed that big time. <laughs> they were they were not shy about putting that on there. Wearing a star of David. Yeah, okay, I couldn't remember the name, but I I like that. And as she's fighting with this guy and she's telling telling the instructor why she did it, she's like, "Well, I swung first. And because, you know, he was like, "I was just talking about the striker crusade and all the good it does." Duh. Well, he is mutants are evil. They deserve whatever they get. And it's just, you know, that whole thing about how, about, about, you know, when these, what this guy was able to do, Stryker's able to get to these people. He's able to reach them. He's able to make them think this, and they start believing it. And the more people they tell, the more people that will end up believing. As I always love the famous quote by Joseph Goebbels, if you tell a lie big enough and tell it enough times, it becomes the truth. And I and I feel like that's anyone who's very good at manipulating, whether you be a president, a senator, a evangelist, whether you just be in a toxic girlfriend or toxic boyfriend, like that works for anyone. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's basically almost gaslighting a nation. And I don't know, man, this whole striker thing, it reminds me of somebody like I feel like striker is going to be big on draining the swamp. He's just telling people what it is, how it is. In real talk, that's the way real people talk. If this, in an alternate universe, Stryker probably would have gotten voted president, honestly. I, hey, Lex Luthor became president in DC Comics, so hey, anything's possible, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I also, as she's art, when she's talking to the instructor and she's telling him, hey, they're just words, words can't hurt you, I'm not going to oh, read the line. Cause, oh, yeah. But, she, you know, she pretty much says, you know, what if he said, you know, a very racist thing about blacks, and it hits because you can see her like it hits her. She's like, you know, she knew because, you know, she's been on that same receiving end of this hatred. Like, you know, and you can tell it hits her like she knows what, you know, and just to see that hatred, it infuriates her. You know, even, you know, she was just trying to. And it, it's very interesting. And then you see another scene of the purifiers. You have these, the same people that killed the kids in the playground just driving around in a van and they're hunting them. They're hunting mutants. They're hunting the X-Men. And, and they're you don't really, you know know what their goal is here i mean you know they killed the two kids and they're talking about you know just doing surveillance making sure that everybody's under you know what's going on where everybody is they're talking about taking out the uh the dance instructor just because she's a mutie lover like yeah and that's kind of how it works like you you start going after you know a certain type of people and then you just keep going after new people because anything about a a very toxic person is that they always need or in this case you know somebody that's channeling to channel hey has to be channeled towards somebody they always have to have victims otherwise it doesn't work so they're kind of constantly keep finding new victims that's the reason why the nazis went after the communist party went after the union workers or laborers union whatever the hell it was called and they kept going because he kept needing new things to hate to keep people you know, following his craziness. You got to keep them riled up. You got to keep a common enemy because then you're going to start, if you don't have that enemy, you're going to start looking at yourself eventually and you're not going to like what you see. Yeah. And I also like how it has, like you have a scene where you have, so Xavier's on TV arguing his point with, with Stryker. And I think that I, I like the scene with all the X-Men at home watching it. Oh, that is such a good scene. I really enjoy that. Like, and, it's basically on front line type of thing. 
Yeah, it's it's very well done, and it's also very like how you know they even say like Stryker's winning because Stryker knows how to talk to the audience, and he's talking about fear, where Xavier's trying to do hope, but he doesn't know how to play to an audience. He doesn't know how to get people excited. And I mean, again, any good evangelist, evangel- any good public speaker knows how to get people to want to listen, you gotta get that excitement, like doing a podcast. So exactly, <laughs> and it. I love this. Like, I like how they get so irritated what they're watching. They're like, okay, we got to go train. And I do love seeing them put on their outfits for some reason. I just, I really like these kids. I, I like this group of X-Men. We haven't mentioned, it's also Wolverine and Storm and Cyclops are part of this group too in this book. Yeah, and this takes place after the Phoenix Saga, if I remember correctly. Oh, that's why there's no Jean Grey, huh? Yeah. And in this, it kind of seems like uh, Cyclops and Storm are an item. Yeah, that... They don't really say anything. They don't show that to the very last page in the epilogue, but you are right. Yeah. So I did have to do some research on that because, again, I'm not good with dates. And I thought that Dark Phoenix took place, you know, was like mid-80s. But nope, I was wrong. Phoenix Saga's first and Dark Phoenix Saga's where she comes back. Yeah, Dark Phoenix Saga. That was, um, yeah, that was something different. But the original Phoenix Saga was before this. I, you know, I've never read it. I've always meant to read it on this, on this, on this show, but it hasn't happened yet. It's yeah, it's it not great. It's oh, not great. oh, I know who not to ask them. Well, right. like looking at it currently, it's not great. <laughs> oh, uh, I never read it, but it might happen. But after they get all suited up, we have a little bit of a discussion after the Xavier and Stryker debate on tv yeah where xavier acknowledges that striker was better i gotta ask you think xavier kept stopping him every time he started to talk oh i doubt it you don't think he hey hey hey, i gotta say something too what about what about your son striker what about your son you don't think you're doing (laughs) he should have been but no (laughs) xavier's classy he was just like oh shut up man <laughs> All right, I, I I do like the training montage where they're in the training room and they have to and they and they have to do things differently or they can't use their powers to exactly stop the way that they would normally. They have to use different like methods. I thought that was cool. Like Wolverine can't cut out of the cage; he has to find a different way out of the cage. Yeah, and they all, you know, work as a team, but they change things up. They're thinking on the fly. That's what I really like about X Men: the team dynamic. It it, it works well. Oh, it and, really and it does. It's really cool to see in this and. And this is the part where it's kind of jumping back and forth between them training. It also shows Xavier, Cyclops, and Storm are in a car driving, and you have somebody, they they blow up the car. And this is a powerful-ass scene where you see Cyclops, and they get out of the car, you know, the car's been a car accident, and somebody just guns down Cyclops, Xavier, and Storm. And it is just really powerful. Yep, and it sure looks like my boy there is using a... uh... An almost like an AR-15 type assault rifle, but you know, I'm sure it's perfectly legal. <laughs> and, a, is, and a rocket launcher. The launcher? The rocket launcher. Who doesn't notice a rocket launcher in Central Park? Oh, that would that where this is? Well, they said they were going to sna- uh, grab him outside of Central Park. Oh, okay, so they tried. Okay, I don't know much about New York, but I'm assuming New York is never that quiet. No, I doubt it. <laughs> I've never been there. I've never been, but I've known people that live there, and uh, I've heard it's rarely, rarely quiet. There's a reason it has the nickname The City That Never Sleeps. And just the scene when they get, so they finish training, and they get the phone call, and Nightcrawler picks up the phone, and just the way they drew his face when he gets the news just hits hard. Like, every, you know, the world just drops out from under him when, you know, he tells the group that they're dead. And I I, I like that. 
Oh, it's very good. And the scene where Wolverine is standing in the doorway and he's just casting a long shadow and everybody is just kind of huddled together. Like, that's that's powerful stuff, man. That fits Wolverine, too, because he's someone who's very old, who's seen a lot of death, caused a lot of death himself. But it still affects him greatly to see someone he sees, you know, as a friend, as a mentor, just, you know, being, you know, head dot. Mm-hmm. Except he doesn't. And then. I also like what they do because they also show like they show them. It says the next day and it shows Kitty Pride or Ariel, as she's named in this book, sitting there crying about their deaths. And I, I, I like this. Like, you you know, you, get, you see the grief, you see the pain about how she's like, after all we've been through to have them killed in a lousy car crash. And I think that's a very powerful little sentence there because it's like, you know, they fight all these things. It's just something simple that I mean, this case, it wasn't simple, but they think it was something simple that killed them. And I think that's a very interesting thing. Yeah, and she's talking with uh, Ileana, right? Uh, Cyclops, yes. or uh, Colossus's sister. Who later becomes magic. Yeah. Way later, but yes. <laughs> I later. think way later. Probably way later. I don't know. Again, I suck at dates, but... I'm also not good with my X-Men knowledge. Is not super good, unfortunately. But I know she's magic because she was in the uh, New Mutants movie that I just watched. Oh, I haven't seen that yet. <laughs> and it's not... She becomes magic in 1983. Okay, so it was after this. A year after this, so that's not very. That's not very long ago. Yeah. Okay, never mind then. So it, it's it's interesting, and she the whole reason she's like she's like I saw something strange, Kitty, and she wants to show her that they have like this camera hidden in the in the swamp that's pointed towards the house, and I thought, and that's what kind of starts to draw her attention that it wasn't just a car accident, but there's something else going on, and get and I thought that was kind of cool. Oh yeah, there's definitely surveillance going on, and it's just like kind of innocuous to set up in almost a duck blind type situation so they short out the camera which (laughs) apparently i didn't know that you know phasing through electronics would screw them up but hey whatever oh there is before we get far now i do want to mention the line where uh uh, kitty pride and iliana are talking about her crush on on peter on colossus i like that they consider and this is kitty pride they consider peter an adult why i'm still their darling little girl Crushes are cool, but falling in love for real, the penultimate no-no. And the ultimate, take a guess. I like I don't know, I just like that. But <laughs> I don't do a very good girl impersonation, but Yeah, it's fine. It, it's, it's it's good. It's, like, it's real. It's a real conversation that would really happen. And probably something that would, you know, Ileana would throw up to take her friend's mind off the paint for a while. Like, this is a very real emotional storyline for me. Like, I feel like this is how this is this would play out, really. It's very good. And then when when it jumps back and it shows the X-Men or Wolverine, Colossus, Nightcrawler are at the scene of the car crash and they're looking they're looking for evidence. And I like that where Wolverine's like, there's corpses that were found in the wreck pal, but they're not our, but they're they're not in they're not them. I like that. Yep. Trouble is their sensor wrong. And you know, Wolverine with his whole Wolverineiness, you know, can obviously smell. No, that's not our people. But the line that I like, he's like, I staged, this is Wolverine, I staged more than a few such accidents in my day. Boy, this has all the earmarks. Like, again, you gotta realize, the guy's a fucking murderer. <laughs> and then Colossus immediately after, oh, should we not tell the police? And Wolverine's like, nah. Nope. Oh, we're gonna handle this ourselves. And I like how they realize they've been followed, so, you know, they, they, there's a car not that far away that's been tracking them, so, like, so they, they get in costume really quick, apparently very quickly, because they're being watched, and all of a sudden they're in costume, and they just start ripping apart this car. Like, I like that. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> cool moment. Yeah, they just start destroying it. And all because, you know, Nightcrawler's keeping a watch out on top of a lamppost, because, you know... He's Nightcrawler. That's what acrobats do, apparently. Yeah, Kurt Wagner was a circus acrobat. That makes sense. 
any sense. And I, I, I like how the the girl tried. So the one of the purifiers tries to drive away in a car to crash into Colossus because she's like, oh, if I'm gonna die, I'm gonna take somebody with me. And he Nightcrawler pulls her out of the car. They destroy the car. And these two guys in like Iron Man looking suits jump out of the car. And I'm like, and they're like, oh, they were still in the car. And I'm like, how? How were you still in the car? Well, they're in the fancy suits. Eh, but there's, I don't think there's enough room in that car. I don't know. Just It's one of those things that kind of hit me. Like, it couldn't have been somewhere they were just nearby and they didn't notice them. But I guess, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> it's, it just bothered me. Yeah. No, I I'm get that. <laughs> but then, of course... Iron Man suits are causing problems for everybody. They're shooting in the energies, and then who should show up but our boy? I I like this. Like you have a you have a panel here where it's just the two guys in their in their underwear with all the metal around them because Magneto just rips them up, rips everything apart, and then ties them in a cocoon with the metal. Like I I like that. That is just great. Like even he's not even going lethal. Like he's just like nope, you get to be held in place. Just, and the X I don't the X know have that moment about, like. Eh? I don't know a whole lot about Magneto. Does he normally does he normally kill? Well, not if he can't help it, and okay. especially in this case where he's going to want to talk to people. <laughs> I like how they know him as an enemy because you know this has been hundred issues into, into X Men at this at this point. But you know they end up teaming up with him. Like I like he says like Magneto is here as a friend and he'll have me an ally, and I think that's very powerful. Like he saves them from these guys and he's trying to work with them. I I yeah. like that. Yeah, it's just kind of like, uh, you know, I'm just, I'm here to do my thing. I'm trying to help you guys out. I am in this ridiculously fabulous outfit in broad daylight. <laughs> I like his outfit, though. Oh, that outfit is so great. But come on, man. Magenta cape in broad daylight on Central Avenue, or in Central Park. Come on now. Come on. And, and then it bounces back to where you have Kitty Pryde and Ileana are hiding in the swamp, watching that camera, waiting for... Whoever put it there to come back. And you have a really cool scene, which I didn't know she could do this, where Kitty Pride phases into the ground and walks through the dirt. Yeah. And it's interesting because she's talking about like how she has to hold her breath because she can't breathe while she's down in the dirt. And she's listening, trying to find out what's going on, which I don't know how well you can hear through dirt, but whatever. <laughs> but the people uh, that put the the camera there. They're purifiers. And you got that lady from the car wreck showing back up with another one of the Iron Man suit guys. <laughs> I wish I knew and they find, they find Ileana in the, hiding in the reeds while Kitty's in the dirt. It's pretty cool. And they shoot her. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They don't they kill her, but her. you think they do for a second. Oh, yeah. And then somehow Kitty's in a tree? Because I guess because she can phase, so she phases upwards, I guess? I don't know. I got nothing. She she does play a big part in this book, though. Like, I was surprised how big of a character is, because she faces into the car, into the trunk. They turn the nerve gas on to kill her while she's in the trunk. Like, why would you have nerve gas in your trunk? But hey, you know. We're going, we're obviously going to the James Bond school of <laughs> uh, car gadgets. Yeah, that's where I took it. And then we go back to the X-Men, who have the two iron mummies in their library, because that's where you put interrogation experts. And you get one of the best interrogation scenes I have ever seen. I mean, it it's, it looks brutal. It's very simple, but it looks brutal. You have Wolverine threatened with the claws. That's not that bad. But when Magneto's like, sure, I'll I'll take care of this. And, and here the the line. The purifier resists, but the outcome is never truly in doubt. First he then, first he, then his companion tell all they know. 
and you see this panel or this of Magneto, and this guy is like laid across with metal all over the place, like stabbing into him. It looks like his his fingers are being pulled backwards by metal. I mean, it just looks terrible. Oh yeah. Like Wolverine is threatening physical pain by just shooting the claws up one side of his face and the other, and he's got the middle claw retracted, just waiting. That was that's great. But then Magneto goes and like, no, 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 I'll show you how it's done. I know how to do torture, right? Yeah, it it's powerful, and I mean, and I I like that where they they where they're where they're asking where the X Men because maybe like once more genocide in the name of God a story as old as the race and then Colossus what's this necessary Wolverine being Wolverine yep and I, I like how they're they they're really realizing like how are we better than them if we're doing this I think that's very powerful and that you really kind of get the X Men questioning their goals like what they do and how they're different, A, from Magneto, but from the people that are persecuting them. And that's pretty powerful stuff. And then should we talk about the most fucked up part of this entire comic? Oh, are you talking about the, uh, <laughs> the, the dream sequence in Xavier's mind? Oh, yeah. First, I have to mention just because of the, it, it does show the World Trade Center in here in the first part of this. And he uh, says the World Trade Center Manhattan. Yep, hashtag never forget. And that, that that's that's always powerful still. And what it so then it shows Xavier being crucified by the X-Men, but the X-Men all look very kind of demonic. Like Wolverine has vampire teeth, his eye, his mask is a little bit longer, Kitty Pride's face is more ape-like, I guess is the way to put it. And she has longer elf ears, like everything is just very they try to do it what I guess what maybe people would consider demonic at one time or so. Yeah, and it seems like these are his worst fears that are playing out, but it's kind of heavy-handed, too. I mean, you got Charles Xavier being put in a Christ-like, you know, crucifixion, using specifically, you know, biblical words. Like, they show the setup for the crucifixion, uh, leading with, and they bring him unto the place Golgotha, which is where they crucified Christ. Oh, I didn't know that. But yeah, that's history I don't follow. Yeah, and it it's pretty hard because like the X Men, Nightcrawler comes and takes a bite out of Charles' neck. Uh, Kitty phases through his chest and rips out his heart. Wolverine slashes at him, coincidentally in the side where Jesus got pierced by a spear. Oh. Storm strikes the cross with lightning, so he's just left hanging and burned. And this is all just it's. It's gnarly. It is gnarly because it feels like this is what like Charles' deepest fears are. I really don't like it. And then you have like a godlike figure comes to him and then he rejects it and he goes right back into the torture. And like when I first saw it, I knew it was a dream sequence. I didn't know what the hell's going on. But it's just when when as 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 you keep reading and it turns out that he was captured by the by Stryker. He's in a test tube full of water where they have him hooked up to these mental things and they're just injecting these things into his brain to make him suffer. Yeah, and it's it's also a form of brainwashing too. Like yeah. they're trying to get him to realize that, you know, he's going through all this abuse at the hands of mutants only to have a savior show up that, you know, also a very godlike figure. That is, you know, trying to get him to flip sides, essentially. Yeah, it's pretty powerful. Yeah, it's powerful. It's kind of disgusting. And they basically, you know, they got him all drugged up to the point where his psychic sensitivity is heightened. They're also torturing 
Cyclops and Storm, and their pain is going into Xavier because Xavier can't block it out, so that's just making it worse. Really powerful. And then again, all of it in the name of God. Like, that's the part that really, oh, God. I think, hits, too. Like, oh, like, that, <laughs> that line. That line from Stryker, Storm asks, we have done you no harm. Why are you doing this? And the Stryker says, because you exist. And that existence is an affront to the Lord. Oh, that makes me angry. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and then then they goes in to talk about like what Stryker did. Like he was a mil- he was in the military, and he gets into a car accident so many years ago, and his wife gives, is pregnant and gives birth after the car accident, and what is born is a mutant. So he calls it a monster, and he kills the baby because it's not because it's different. Yes, he kills his own mutant child, and then. His wife! <laughs> and he breaks her neck. Oh my god. Puts her back in the car and lights a match on the accident where gasoline is dripping. Blowing himself to high hell, but also hiding the evidence. Oh. And, and I love how like he goes, he becomes a drunk and alcoholic. He's a f- beating people up. He gets kicked out of the army. Hits rock bottom. Then he sees a thing about, about mutants, about Charles Xavier. And this is the line that I'm going to read from him. He says, but could I have fathered such a creature? Was my life so wicked that the Lord sought to punish me through my son? And if so, why then let me live? If I was evil, shouldn't I have been condemned to eternal damnation? He said, I prayed for guidance. It was given me. The evil, the sin was Marcy's, not mine. And I think that's what's so powerful, too, is because it was nobody's sin. It was just what happened. And yet there has to be something that was evil. Somebody had to, you know, being punished by God. Like, here's another line from here. She was a vessel used by God to reveal unto me Satan's most insidious plot against humanity, to corrupt us through our children while they were still in the womb. The Lord created man and woman in his image, blessed with his grace. Mutants broke that sacred mold. They were creation not of God, but of the devil. And I, and I think that's really powerful about that. Because that, that line, I feel like, has been used throughout history by different people when they want to commit genocide. <laughs> so oh, constantly. And I, Again, I you know, so wrapped great. in that cloak of righteousness. Yeah, for no reason. <sighs> and, I mean, it makes Stryker such a, just such a hated character, too. And, you know, and and it's just, and he acts like he's, you know, he, everyone thinks he's this, you know, good guy and stuff. And he's just a, he's a freaking murderer. He's an unrepentant murderer. That's the worst problem. He sees absolutely no problems with what he's doing. And he attempts to justify it because he's talking after the whole dream sequence in the flashback. He's talking to Cyclops and Storm. And he's talking about, you know, their histories and why, you know, he's doing what he's doing and how he has Colossus's sister and Kitty. And he says, when the Lord thy God shall deliver them before thee, thou shalt smite them and utterly destroy them. Thou shalt make no covenant with them, no show mercy unto them. And then she's like, all right, I'm done by <laughs> using scripture to justify murder is just it's insidious. It is awful. And I hate it. And it happens. And it happens in real life, not just in comic books. It happens every day. And I think, I mean, especially reading this in 2020, like, you know, it's everything's been happening to us in our life. Like this book even hits even more and which we'll get to the end. I'm I'm saving it for the end of the episode. When we finish this book, we'll go into. Oh, yeah. I have my own personal connections to this stuff that we'll talk about a little later. I'm just saving it. That way, if people don't want the full blown political, they can get 
<laughs> they can listen to most of this episode. Yeah. And it just gets like when you when you see the car when they're they're getting back with the, the purifiers and they take Ileana out, they shoot the car to kill Kitty, find out Kitty face face through. And as she's running through New York, she runs into a bunch of gangsters. And one thing about the gangsters I think is interesting is they're all different nationalities. If you look at them, they're all like one guy's wearing a turban, one guy you can tell is obviously white. One, you know, just you can tell they're all. And I think that was cool. Like I didn't catch that right away, but they're not just like they didn't just decide to go with this one type of guy. Like it could have went with so many things, so many stereotypes. Instead, they picked somebody from every kind of culture. They just these bad people. Yeah, like everybody that these races would have a problem with are all in one gang, and they all look like they're from the Warriors. I'm not going to lie. Oh, they do. Yeah, bare-chested, wearing kerchiefs around their necks and open vests, and <laughs> it's ridiculous and wonderful, and I love it. it. I like how, like, she needs their help. Like, oh, we'll give you help, but I mean, since you're going to rape her first, and it's just like, my, you know, it, it's just powerful. I mean, it doesn't go anywhere because the purifier shows up and ends up starts guns them all down, kitty pride phases, but it's still cool. Oh, yeah. And it goes to show, you know, it's just, it's not just mutant that these purifiers have a problem with. It's everybody who's not them. Yeah, and which is kind of how it works. Like, you, you look at, like, with Nazi Germany, you know, he was only after these people, after the Jews, after this. But as time went on, he was only interested in blonde hair, blue eyes. You know, like, it was just craziness. Yep. And, of course, you see it now. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this book, it was made in 1982, but, man, is it still topical. Oh, yeah, that's like, why I thought some it was of stuff perfect hits. to record it. And because I really wanted to get it re-recorded. Oh, so, of course. <laughs> that bothers me immensely when that, when, when Tango airs. But I like how you have Kitty Pride escaping. Like, you have her steal some coins from a from a payphone and make a call. You know, a payphone, you got, if you guys remember those things. And I like she makes a line there. She's like, I'm sorry, M.A. Bell, or whoever. The, I think it's M.A. Bell. Yep, Ma Bell. That, that that's funny. I don't think that company even exists anymore. Oh God, no. <laughs> I remember Bell, but not no, Ma no. Bell. Not Ma Bell was just what everybody used to call like you know Bell Company. Jesus Christ, I'm it's, dating it's, myself here. It's good. Like and and one of the really powerful moments I felt in here is as she's escaping, she runs into a subway train and a cop tries to protect her, and the purifiers gun him down. Yeah, don't even you know have a care about the cop, and she's like, look. Do what you want to me, but please help the officer. He isn't a mutant. He's not your enemy. He's dying. And then the purifier says, and his death beauty will, at what will appear to be your hand, will serve our cause as effectively as your death. And that that's chilling. That is yeah. absolutely chilling. It's really good. Like, And it, it, I mean, it doesn't go well for them because Magneto shows up takes the train and rips out, rips them out of it and and they get beat up by the X-Men because the, the rest of the X-Men show up. But it's still really cool. And they save the officer too. Magneto pulls the bullet out of his out of his body and then they take him to a hospital. And I thought that was really cool. Oh yeah. And then uh, Kurt takes one of the guys and bamps them into Rikers <laughs> Island. Like that's great. And then they go off on a magic carpet ride. <laughs> Yep, we're part of the subway train. We're part of the well, not, yeah, subway. We're part of the train. Kind of cool. Yeah, it's great. Like you almost wish that Magneto would use his powers more ridiculously to like fly through New York City on a piece of metal, like <laughs> Aladdin, showing people new worlds. It's wonderful. I can show you the world. Well, I mean, more like the Marvel version, be like, here are Daredevils over here, and there's Luke Cage and Iron Fist. Here's the X Men over here. Spider Man's right there. Captain America's over here too. Like that'd be that's a more correct version, I think. That'd be great. <laughs> but no, it's just a little side thing while they get the guy out of the hospital. 
I, I, I do like how then you have, like, you have Xavier, where he finally was been converted after all that abuse and brainwashing. And all I think of is, there are four lights! Oh. I know you get that reference. So. Oh, I do. <laughs> I do. That is such a good episode of Star Trek. But, yeah, I mean, especially considering that Patrick Stewart played Xavier, like, that is very <laughs> appropriate. And that's just what stuck with me. And I, I do love that scene, though, where when that happens. And it's just, like, they, after, you know, they've been sitting here working at him for so long, and... They they do brainwash him, but not completely. He tries like they want him to hit the mute, hit Cyclops and Storm with a psychic blast to kill them, and they they think they're dead. Spoiler, they're not. But it's so powerful, and it also shows you what brainwashing and like that type of stuff can do. If you if you keep doing it to a person, you can change people in a way that they don't want to be because you just you force the brain to survive. And the worst thing, the worst thing about this is that you see Charles hit him with that blast, they have blood coming out of their nose, and in the next panel, he is just elated. He is smiling so wide. It's fucked up. It is just, it's heartbreaking to look at that. But even subconsciously, no, he pulled his punch. He wasn't going to kill his people. But he did enough to save them, so that yeah. way they would think they were dead so they could escape. Which is great. And then I, the X-Men go on the offensive. I, I like this, where Kitty Pry ends up jumping into a limo, grabs the guy, and phase him out of the limo. <laughs> oh, it's so good. And then Nightcrawler threatens him just by showing his teeth and get him to talk. Like, all oh, that is so good. And Getting closer and closer to the neck. Yes. Oh, man. I mean, I, I again, I love Nightcrawler. I, I would love to buy his first appearance if it wasn't in a super key issue that costs way too much money for me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Giant size X-Men number one, by the way. So Christmas is coming up, folks, if you want to get your old pal <laughs> Mike something. It won't be Christmas by the time you're hearing this. It'll, be way, it'll probably be after. <laughs> so. Some gift-giving holiday is coming up, folks. <laughs> <laughs> and someday I'll buy it. I've had chances. I just haven't done it yet. And when, they, when they're raising the elevator up, like they, so they go in this elevator to drop off the bodies to throw them in the incinerator. And I love how the elevator, they meant it to go down. It just starts going up and up and up and up and up and out of the building. And the one purifier that's been off and on working with Stryker that we've seen, she jumps out of the elevator and lands on the roof to try to escape while they rescue Ileana and Cyclops and Storm. And then they, they find out they're not actually dead. Magneto somehow electrocutes them to life. I, I, I don't know, but we'll go with it. Yeah, just 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 let it work, man. Maybe did something with the iron in their blood. I don't know, Magneto. Like this time, his powers were kind of ill-defined, and like we know metal, but it seemed like he gained a new fabrication of that during the '80s, and like seemed like every other issue, he was more powerful than he was before. It changed you know. a lot. Yeah, but that's fine. And then it jumps to where Strikers at Madison Garden getting ready for a. Big, you know, sermon, which I know you had a lot of big sermons with um, Jimmy Graham in the 70s and 80s, I want to say. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Billy Graham, Jimmy Swaggart, all of those oh, guys, they used to have like huge, just these huge ministries. And uh, Pat Robertson with the 700 Club, like it was, and this is what it was like there. Like when he goes on stage and, you know, all the spotlights are shining, there are hundreds of people. It really was like that. Like, oh, it was a, it was not a great time. 
<laughs> no, I, I don't remember it very well because I was born in '87, so you know, yeah. a little bit after well, that. Yeah, this this book came out when I was two years old, so yes, I am <laughs> old, but that's fine. And oh man, it, it's it's, it's, it's rough. Like they have Xavier being hooked up into like the psionic device to amplify his powers, and here's some, and then that mutant that we're talking about jumping the roof, she comes to Stryker, and it is showing the audience. It's showing the it's showing that there's senators sitting in the audience, and they make a comment. Well, the president's a fair-minded man. He believes the Reverend views deserve a hearing, like. Again, that's getting a little dangerous there, but it shows that. It shows the audience getting, like, really excited. And you even have the cops say, crowd's eating it up. I don't know, partner, that preacher scares me. And he starts going on about how he hates mutants and mutants are monsters and that, you know, God is punishing us and all this other, you know, bullshit that people would do in this situation. And as you show the device being turned on, you see a mute, a random guy that just looks like a normal kid, you know, almost dying having like, a, you know, because he starts bleeding and stuff because it's hurting the mutants, what they're doing. I think that's powerful. Yeah. And like, because this kid is such a normal looking kid, like he starts bleeding. They, Nightcrawler is like summon an ambulance. And then some dude's like, hey, that's Nightcrawler, one of the X-Men. But what happened to the kid? Did the mutants attack him? And Nightcrawler's like, nope, I'm out. Just pieces out real quick. <laughs> well, again, it just shows you what happens in real life with racism and hatred and how people, you know, don't don't wait to listen. They just start shouting. Yeah. <laughs> well, and uh, yeah, it's not like we've seen that though recently at all. But then as you come to realize when Nightcrawler's ears start bleeding, this side, this, um, this psionic blast is affecting mutants. It's good. And, oh, it is so interesting. And then Magneto just makes the best entrance ever. The, the one line that I thought really sticks with me is you have well, the guy talking in the center, and the center's like, no, damn it, see? Magneto replaced the roof, good as new. He made an entrance, not an attack. Yeah. And I, and I think that's very interesting, because he could have just ripped apart the building, but instead he just makes a hole, comes in, and puts it back together. Yep. And Magneto wants to be hurt. Like, he's like, nope, this is awful. This is horrible. You guys shouldn't do this. And Stryker immediately goes on the attack like oh look magneto most feared of a fearsome race self-styled overlord of earth enslaver of its people and wow that is some rhetoric let me tell you <laughs> and he hits him with a psychic blast and almost kills him and then you have the the crowd carrying signs and they're ready to kill magneto and he's trying to hold them back but he really can't because he's so weak and i love how you have another scene where the senator ears start bleeding too showing he's a mutant too and it's the police that didn't stand up for making you know say hey hey leave him alone like you know you're not gonna kill you're not gonna hurt him supposed to be a church service not a damn circus that's <laughs> great and then it goes back to the x-men you know taking out the purifiers but they're so you have the x-men fighting the purifiers and they're injured because of the psionic ability is hurting them, making them not be able to fight at their normal prowess. And I think that's a really cool moment too. Yeah. Like you basically have the X-Men going in and just not being 100% on par. So they just got to do their best. And I, I love the part when the purifier lady you've seen who's murdered mutants and everything, her, her nose starts bleeding. Oh man. <laughs> And oh, man. you realize that she's a mutant, too. And she goes to strike her. Oh, man. Like, oh, yeah. God. It's good. Like, it's just, look, we're your faithful. I believe in you. Does that mean nothing? And he's just like, nah, it sucks. So he throws her off this platform, and she breaks her neck. She's dead. And they catch it on camera. 
Oh yeah, the way the camera followers follows her down, and the way that they showed that in the book—that's really cool. I, I I love that because it, it's so powerful. He just murders somebody, and I I, I love that. Like it it because you know, it shows you what kind of person he is. I mean, he thinks he's doing it for God, but all really, it's just showing he's just a psychopath using God as his excuse to commit you know murder. Yep. And then there's the nicest little bit of fiction. In this entire book, Magneto says, if this, then the holy word, reverend, that any oppose you must die. And the crowd starts going crazy, you know, shut up, this is your fault. And one guy in the crowd says, wait a minute, what he's saying makes sense. That wouldn't happen. <laughs> no, not, not, not the people that are in this, that would be in this situation. No, this crowd is packed with zealots and zealots don't really change their opinion. At all, as we, you know, seen. Yeah, and it, but, it's, I, I like it. I, I really do. And the part where the cops are still protecting Magneto, and you have the X-Men going back, to, they trick Xavier, and are able to knock him out to, to destroy the machine, and then, you know, save themselves, and save the rest of the mutants. Yeah, and, you know, all's well that ends well, kind of. It's and when they and they go on stage to argue with Stryker, and I think that is so good. Where they're like, "We deserve to die just because we were born differently." And there's a great line when they're arguing with Stryker, where he points, which is a meme I've seen around. He points to Nightcrawler, like human. You dare call that human? And he's just pointing at it, and it's just so it's so good. And you know, Kitty Pryde, like you're more human than you are. And then he pulls out a gun and he's going to shoot the X Men. And I'm thinking to myself, well. Four, two of these guys would be just fine. You shoot Wolverine, no problem. You shoot Colossus, no problem. You shoot the other three, and they're in trouble. <laughs> yeah, and he's about to do it. He's about to do it. I, I love that. And he, he cocks the gun, and then you you see it says bang, and then he's the one that got shot by a cop. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you know, normally, you know, it's. You know, in, in today, in this day and world, it's a little, you know, with all the police shootings that have happened and everything. But hey, in this case, the guy was armed and he was pointing the gun at somebody. So it, it, it's interesting to see how different this would have been seen in 1982 and in 2020 with everything happening, how our mindset is a little different, even though, in my opinion, in this situation, the cop did the right thing. Yeah. I mean, that's what they he was about to, he shot somebody who was about to shoot an unarmed little girl. Yeah, and I love that where he's like, but the guy, the cop shot the reverend. He's like, yep, who was about to shoot. And you just said, and I love this. If that's the word of God, it sure changed some since Sunday school. I like that one. Yeah, that's a good one. And what about the muties? What about them? They've done as much or as little as you clowns. (laughs) Nice. It's, nice. It's good. It's it's really powerful book. And then when you have the epilogue where they're all at Xavier's mansion, and there's a point where Xavier's kind of ready to have Magneto lead them, to have the X Men join Magneto because he just after everything that happened, everything he did, he just he's not the same. Yeah. And, it, and it's only it's only because really the X Men want to follow his uh, Xavier's dream that Xavier is able to finally come back to his senses. Yep. And you know this is. It's a very traumatic experience for Xavier, and this is going to take, you know, months, maybe years for him to get over. But I don't it's know. Really good. It's, it's it's good, and he almost joins Magneto. Xavier almost joins Magneto, but doesn't. I think that's so powerful too. Oh, so good. It's it's, and then you know, and then you have a small scene. I mean, can can. 
closer to what we were mentioning earlier, how Jean Grey is dead at this point, because on the balcony, you have Cyclops and Storm spent, you know, holding hands and kind of kissing and having a tender moment talking about, and they make a line where Storm is, and from that, from that caring comes love, Cyclops, which makes the world go round, if only that were so. And I, and I think, and that's the last line of this book, like, and I think that's very powerful too. It really is because, you know, it even ties back to the title, you know, God loves, man kills. And that's kind of saying, you know, yeah, love just, it's great, but it's not enough to make everything right. And God, it's, it's really hard to think about that, especially in a time like this. Like, it's just, it's such a rough world out there and it's just gotten worse since 82. Like, I would love to see some, I would love to find out what people think of this book more often now. Like this is, this is a hard book to come by. So if you read this book guys, or are interested, please send us an email at gamesmymomfun at yahoo.com. I will read it at some point. <laughs> yes, please feel free to tell us about our lack of X-Men knowledge. I am waiting with my glasses to push them up and well, actually any responses into oblivion, but <laughs> no, this is, it's a hard book to find. You cannot purchase it like digitally at any, Oh, like, you can't? No, I looked for it. I couldn't find it. Oh. And, you know, the the actual trade paperbacks are hard to come by. Like, they're costly. I think it's out of print. And I don't see this coming back any... Not right now. It should, though. This is when we need it. Yeah, but, you know, it's not the most... I can see it. it. I know it did get republished a couple... Uh, $35 at Target. Yeah. That's, that's kind of pricey for a short story. Like, I mean, this is not a long no. novel at all. Yeah, no, it's not. Yeah, you're right. It's not cheap. And on Amazon at the time of this recording, $35. You can buy it on Kindle and Kamagoshi, though, for $14, for $4. Hardcover is $75. Paperback is about $15. Hmm. I couldn't find it. Well, I mean, I, 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 I didn't read a proper copy. Let's just say that. But mm-hmm. <laughs> that's fine, though. That's what libraries are for. Yeah, okay. Uh, <laughs> we'll go with that. That's all. That's how I read this book. But also, one thing I do want to mention quickly for those that are big into comics: this was originally supposed to be written, drawn by Neil Adams, was supposed to be involved with this, or but he dropped out of the project before. And originally, Angel was supposed to be in this book too, which I would have loved because I like Angel a lot. It would have been pretty cool. I mean, I Angel is cool, but I don't know, man. I feel like the team that was here, everything just works so well. Oh, and- it does. If you would have subbed somebody out for Angel, it wouldn't it wouldn't feel the same. Probably, I just, I just like Angel, which is fair. <laughs> I also have I, I don't have his first appearance, of course, but I have the first appearance of Archangel. That counts for anything. And Archangel is awesome. I, I do need to someday read some of his books. All right, and we should go. I think we should go to Shelf or Box. All right, yeah, let's Shelf or Box. I, I'll one. go first. I have read this book three times now and i have read it i read it earlier this year before before 2020 really went to hell i read it mid 2020 again i mean this would have been like that june i probably last time i read this until we decided to re-record this i read it the third time still going on the shelf i mean this book actually even means more to me now in october of 2020 than it did in like march of 2020 because so many things have happened and are happening in this world where this book just makes more sense to me and kind of has more of an emotional involvement to me now or emotional impact than it did when I first read this. So going on the shelf, glad I read it. We'll recommend it to people and maybe people can learn something from this damn book. How about you, Kenneth? Oh, I would absolutely throw this 100% on my shelf and it wouldn't stay there long because I keep loaning it out to people so that they can read it. This would be one that I recommend a lot. And 
you know, this, well, we, we're getting to the end here. I think now it's a great time for me to bring up why this book personally means know, a little bit to me. So as I'm recording this now, I am currently, you know, I was born, raised, and still live in Kenosha, Wisconsin. Y'all can try to find me. I don't care. But <laughs> as you may or may not have heard, we've had a little bit in these past few months. And a lot of this stuff just really hits home because I am surrounded by it on a daily basis. And I've, you know, I've done what I can. I have marched. I've protested. I have, you know, pretty much played the Xavier part, like just trying to help, doing what I can, and just seeing all of this stuff in this book play out around me in a very similar fashion. It's it's hard to watch. It's hard to read. But it's good, and more people need to read this book and immerse themselves in what's happening in the world because if if you have a problem with William Stryker but you're still somehow voting for the current regime you don't get it and I think that's one thing that's also so powerful about this book is that you really can see it like I I try not to get too political on this podcast because that's not why people are here but this, this is a little different because it does but it's just one of those things that when the, you know, because they always, they always make the comment where history repeats itself. And I think that's also what the X-Men were trying to tell you. And it's something that I've been, as as 2016 happened and life went its way, I used to ask the question, well, how did Hitler get all these people to follow him? And then as I saw, I understood a lot more how hate can work. And I, I mean, it's also what, you know, they were trying to teach us here with, with the whole what Stryker is doing, where hate can make people do things that they would never mean to do. But when you get that right person to get them going, you know, terrible things can happen. Yeah, and it doesn't take much. No. Like, if it, if current history has taught us anything, all it takes is for somebody to play to your fears and, you know, play to your insecurities about your life and give you a common enemy. And most people will follow you into the very depths of hell itself. And the other thing about manipulation, which is what happens in this book and happens in real life and someone who survived it, one thing that every good manipulator does is they can they disconnect you from everyone that they can for only you can listen to their word like in a to give a historical context Hitler he bought all the radio stations he took bought the newspaper companies so everyone was just telling him what he everyone just saying what he wanted to say and it got to the point where people only believed stuff that was that he was saying too because before then they like oh this newspaper bashed them oh I don't they're they're just fake news and and then he bought them up and hey, they were down now now they're telling the truth like no he just manipulated what you heard so you so you only believe what was happening and you didn't know what was going on around you i was with someone for about a year who tried to disconnect me from my family disconnect me from my friends made everyone who knew me hate me so that way all i had was this one person to connect to is one person to talk to and that's how you and that's and that's what happens in, in so many cases and that's finest <laughs> and that is very much what striker does to xavier in this you know he manipulates Charles's brains into realizing that everybody he loves is trying to go out and hurt him and that Stryker is the only one that can protect him from it and it's it's insidious it is just it's hard to watch and read play out and oh god this book is just on so many levels it is such a haunting and honestly terrifying story of how the bad guys in the X-Men universe are mostly always just going to be human. The people who don't like others and, oh fuck, it's hard. It's hard. (laughs) 
Like it, it was a very uncomfortable read for me just because I'm so, well, I don't want to say, happened. yeah, I don't want to, well, it's not just Kenosha, it's the entire world too. Yeah. And it's, you know, just watching everything play out on such a national level makes you sick. It makes you sick. That's why I reckon. That's why after because I had read this book before, as I said, and when everything was ha- everything was getting worse, I'm like, yeah, we need to we need to recover this. Yeah, and I'm really glad to have been on this episode because man, do I got some feelings. <laughs> I'm just because this yeah, like I said, this probably won't be because depending on how my schedule works, this won't be up to I'm assuming December or January or later. So because I have a lot of I have a lot of stuff in the pipeline. So maybe when you hear this, things are different. I hope. Otherwise, I I don't know. We can hope, but you know what? Even if they are a little bit different, they're not fixed. No, never. They won't be anytime soon. You, you, the only be. way, in my opinion, society will ever be fixed, and we can do what Star Trek did, in where you the world comes together for one common goal, which was to do more, to be better, and to get rid of currency, and to get rid of. Like everything that Star Trek does, I mean, again, it, it's a pipe dream in a sense, but it's something that I always believe that's the only way we're ever going to have the real peace that we deserve. Well, that sounds like socialist talk, Mike. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I also, since you brought up, I'm going to mention this real quick. Like, I, I, I love how people compare social, because socialism and communism are on that same level, but they're in two di- they're different sides of that, of that level. Like, it depends how far you go. And I think a lot of people don't understand socialism where the government helps you, but you still have a state communism where the government kind of owns you and everything you do is for the better of the government, which unfortunately, as they've seen, doesn't really work to the countries that have done it, like Russia, you know, the prime example, it didn't really work for them. Well, I mean, if you actually go and read the Communist Manifesto, which I have several times, I used to check it out from the library. Once I heard that, if you check it out, you get put on a list. <laughs> so I used to do it and I used to read it a lot. But what happened over in Russia, it's it's not real communism. It's a perversion of it. it or even Lenin was that or even Lenin was part of this. Well, I mean, it's just it's ultimately corrupted by people. Yeah, like human greed is always going to corrupt an ideal communism. Well, not always, but in the examples that have been put on the main stage and, you know, look at like the co-op communes that are out there. The people that are, you know, on a small scale, bunch of people living on a farm, you know, that's communism right there. Everybody works for the greater good. Okay, it's interesting. Like that's that's like at its heart communism. And that's pretty dope when it works. And sometimes it does. I does it on a big scale. Yeah, it's it's always something interesting to me that I, how people confuse socialism and communism because they're on the same scale, but they're at different ends of that scale. And the same thing with like fascism and conservatism. I mean, those are just both the like fascism and communism are just the extremes of those circumstances. Yeah, and let's be honest, right now they're not looking too uh, <laughs> too different. Honestly, I mean, we are getting to the point of. There are definitely fascist overtones in the current administration, and I'm oh yeah, I'm not having it. No, I mean, but I, on, I also <laughs> you, I'm very hopeful that I'm hopeful too because, and I also like I I always say that I can't wait to see the history book from this period of time in 2030, 2035, when time enough time has passed that people that are in office are long gone, are dead. Time has went that way, and then we can look back at it and go, "This is what happened. This is what went on." This is what we can do better. This is what we learn. And because I look at that with history for everything, everything that happens every time you have a president, I don't care who they are. I always say the same thing now. Wait till history tells the books 10 years after they're out of office. Like that's because you that's that's when you really get to see 
what happened, not during the administration, when it's all over and you can put the pieces. Together. Yeah, that's when things start coming out that happened that we didn't hear about. And, and, and you that's know. just like I will still say to the day, Nixon was not a terrible president. He made some huge mistakes, but he also opened up China. He did a couple good things, but all that, unfortunately, he's remembered for is Watergate. I'm not. A, I, I just that's just one thing I always think interesting because he did. I mean, he wasn't a good president. I'm not going to say I'm never going to say it's good, but he wasn't. He did do things that should be recognized. But all he's recognized for is Watergate because he was an idiot. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> at the end of the day, he's no Ronald Reagan. So who was the devil? Again, I think almost every, I, I will I will say almost every president has very bad. But again, when you're running a country, you're never going to be able to be you're always going to have things that aren't going to mess with some people because that's just running a country. Oh, yeah. And that's, you know, it's what happens when you elect one person to. Yeah, I'm not even you know what? I'm not going to go down that road <laughs> because we'll be sitting here for another couple hours as I lay out my multi-point brilliant political you know, schema to put this country back on the right track. And yeah, which we're not, <laughs> we're not going to do that. We're not going to do that. Tune into my next podcast appearance on my own show, which I don't have yet in which I will have a 15 part series explaining <laughs> the optimum way for America to be run. <laughs> There's some people to listen. I'm sure. All right. I think that that about wraps up this episode. And I think it's but, but, so I want to thank everyone for listening. I want to thank Kenneth for coming back on. And if you enjoyed this episode, we have tons of other episodes for you to check out. We have we do games every week. We do comics. We do the movies. I'm currently going through the MCU movie. And there should be over, sit, hopefully by the time you hear this, Phase 2 should be done or close to being published at this point. It's already recorded. But hey, so definitely check that out. And if you enjoyed this, tell a friend, tell an enemy, tell people on Facebook. It's a great way to help support the show. It's just let people know about games my mom found. The more downloads I get, the more I can eventually do with the show, and the more you'll get more content you guys will receive. If you like hearing this voice, one day you might hear me on Twitch or YouTube. Just gotta get me, just gotta keep getting people listening to us. And also want to give a shout out to our awesome intro and outro, courtesy of Bobby, aka Mike Stoney from CP Bite the Bullet, Song the Cool Kid Squad. And last thing I want to say, if you enjoyed this, please follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. I'm constantly posting new images and posting the upcoming episodes come up. We do two episodes a week. We will talk to you guys later. Bye, everybody. Have a great day. Thank you.